and welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we connect you with issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, and often ignored. Prostate cancer is now the most commonly diagnosed cancer in the UK. And with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Joining me today is Dr. Sam Mariel, a GP practicing in North Somerset in Southwest England. He's also a clinical senior researcher fellow at the University of Exeter investigating ways of improving the early diagnosis of cancer in primary care. Dr. Mariel has published research on prostate cancer diagnosis and management, and his current Cancer Research UK funded research is exploring the potential of GPs using prostate MRI to aid in the early and accurate diagnosis of prostate cancer. Sam, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Claire. I think this is a really, really important issue, particularly you know, during the COVID era where we've seen some, some critical links, you know, some connected and some maybe disconnected between the primary and secondary care. So I'm very interested in, in, in speaking with you about this. So if I can kick off by just mentioning that you know, most of the public is aware that GP referrals for men with suspected prostate cancer at one point last year dropped to their lowest in over 10 years. And I think they're, they're recovering, but, but only slightly from what limited data I've seen. How do you think the NHS can best improve on this? So you raise a really, really, really important effect of the pandemic that we're seeing acutely in, in primary care and as in GP practices. So, so yes, the, the urgent suspected cancer referrals have dropped right off and haven't recovered back to sort of pre-COVID levels for what we would expect. And if you look at referral rates prior to the pandemic arriving in the UK, GP referrals for suspected cancer were going up year on year. So they have dropped right off and they haven't recovered yet. We certainly found in general practice, particularly early in the pandemic, that people stopped coming to see us for a lot of things that they usually would. And I think that's completely understandable. The advice from government was to stay at home and protect the NHS. And I think certainly my experience with my patients uh, it seemed like a lot of them thought that, you know, the NHS is, is too busy to deal with these other things right now and I won't go and bother the GP at this time. And, and mm. I think people are holding back. And GPs are worried about that. We are worried that people out there have serious problems or serious symptoms or things that are building up that we would normally be picking up early that we haven't because people you know, aren't coming to see us as much as they used to for understandable reasons. But we want to put the message out there to everyone that, you know, your GP practice is open. Mm. They can see you. Uh, they want to see you. If you have any symptoms, regardless of what it relates to, mm-hmm. um, please come forward and see us. You know, we're not a, a national coronavirus service. We're a national health service. And if yeah, there's a health absolutely. problem, we want to see you. And, and I can understand for men with, you know, issues that might relate to the prostate, some men might naturally think, oh, you know, waking up three or four times a night to wee at my age is, is just normal, you know, mm-hmm. and, and everyone does it. And I shouldn't go and bother the GP to talk about it. But actually, you know, if you've got symptoms related to your prostate or, you know, related to your waterworks, mm-hmm. we still want to talk to you about it um, because it might be something that needs to be looked into further. So are online GP consultations the answer to this? And if they are, how do you advise men who might be hesitant to engage that way? Obviously, when the pandemic hit and, and general practice had to change the way it practiced almost overnight, um, we went from mainly seeing our patients face to face with a little bit of telephone consulting. And, and some practice has had, had started to offer online consultations. We've completely reversed that. So now the vast bulk of people we consult with is via telephone or via video consultation or online you know, through email and other web-based forms. And mm-hmm. everyone in primary care expects this in some form or another to stay. So general practice is not going to go back to, you know, mostly face-to-face. We're going to have a mix of these ways of accessing your GP 
after the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And that might actually, in some ways, for some people, improve their level of access because, as you say, some people might be hesitant to come forward to talk about symptoms such as those that could relate to the prostate mm-hmm. face-to-face. But if, mm-hmm. you're, if you're more comfortable speaking to us about that or speaking to your GP about that, by the phone or on a video consultation or just by email. You know, that now is an option and those options will remain open to people going forward. So that's really good. I mean, I think as GPs, we're also very cognizant that not all of our patients are tech savvy. Not all of our patients have access to the internet. So Mm -hmm. I don't think online consultations are the solution for everyone. And, you know, something we know about prostate cancer is that age is one of the biggest risk factors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I know some of my older patients still don't have a mobile phone, so I still have to pick up the phone and ring them. I still have to write to them with a letter. I still have to go and see them at their home. And that's Mm -hmm. fine. You know, and that that will still be available. We will still be seeing patients face-to-face. We'll still be talking on the telephone. But yes, online consultations are here now and they will be here to stay. Mm. So can we talk about the PSA test? Um, I mean, there's guidance from multiple sources, um, some of which seems conflicting both to patients, I think, and possibly to GPs. How how do you think the GP community best responds to this? Yes, there are mixed and strong views about the PSA test. Um, I think the thing to keep in mind is at the moment for GPs, the PSA test is the only test we have available to try and detect prostate cancer early, you know. PSA and examining the prostate are the only tools the GPs have in their armory. And so we have to do the best we can with what we've got available. And I think GPs are very cognizant about the importance of detecting cancer early, um, but they're also very wary of putting men through unnecessary investigations. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, the PSA, it can be quite good at picking up cancers early. And there are definitely examples of men who've come and got their PSA done and it's been abnormal and we've sent them off and they've got their cancer diagnosis. But GPs are aware of the limitations of the test too, in that some men with prostate cancer will have a normal PSA. So, you know, we're not always reassured if the PSA is normal, but a man is high risk. We Mm -hmm. still think about, do we need to go further? And equally, a man who has a raised PSA, we know that a lot of men with raised PSA is it's raised for other reasons that don't relate to a prostate cancer. And the diagnostic tests of having a prostate biopsy and, and now, you know, we've got MRI available. Those tests are, you know, can take a long time. Some men find them uncomfortable and invasive and, and we want to try and keep the balance. So I think there are some really good resources out there. So I know I, I personally use a, a very simple sort of one-page leaflet from Public Health England that outlines the potential benefits and the potential harms of going through a PSA test. Mm-hmm. Uh, GPs you often use what's called the Prostate Cancer Risk Management Program, which has been developed over a long period of time mm-hmm. and has quite detailed information about how to use a PSA test, how to interpret it as accurately as you can, and what other things to think about. But what about just the simple fact of offering it to most men? Yeah, well, I mean, the guidance is still, yes, the, the opinions vary, but the, the guidance in terms of for men with symptoms is very clear that, you know, in any man who comes forward with a symptom that might relate to uh, their prostate or might relate to a prostate cancer, we should be offering a PSA test. Um, mm. you know, that, that should be made available. The, the issue of screening men who don't have any symptoms, so, what, you know, so that's, screening, that's a screening test, um, that's a bit more controversial. And But I think all GPs would have the conversation with a man about, you know, okay, you want to have this test, that's fine. Let's talk about your risk. Let's talk about what the test might mean and what the consequences might be if it's a positive test. A high PSA or an abnormal PSA doesn't mean you necessarily have prospect cancer. Yeah, no, of, of course. But it's a good way of, of trying to detect it early. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to be conscious of, of the harm. But it does seem to put the onus on the patient to, to ask. I guess that's one of the things that you know a lot of our patients tell us. I guess because 
the evidence says that you know going out and saying well all, you know all the men in, in our practice should come and get a PSA test. The evidence is that it might. It, there's no clear evidence it causes more benefit than harm. You know that's mm-hmm. still debatable. So yes, we don't proactively go out and and, and offer. I, I I mean I do know that. Some practices as part of a sort of the NHS health checks, you know, if a man comes along or, or men who have monitoring tests for other chronic conditions such as diabetes or high blood pressure, you know, we might talk to them about do they have any symptoms that might relate to their prostate and, and, and should we think about adding a PSA test in. Mm-hmm. But um, we, yeah, I think a lot of GPs do feel that quite strongly that we need to have a, an informed conversation with a man and not just tack it on as an extra blood test without actually informing the man, well, mm-hmm. this is what the test might show. Mm. And this is what the potential consequences could be if we do this test. So we, we feel we have to have that conversation, but we're more than happy to do it. So what would you expect then to be a GP's minimal level of knowledge, if I can put it that way, on further prostate diagnostics and treatments? And what would be, in your opinion, best practice in guiding a patient following a raised PSA result? So as I said, you know, the, the test we have available in primary care is, is essentially the PSA or examining the prostate and, and GPs should know the, the uses and the interpretation of that. Mm-hmm. In terms of further diagnostics, I mean, I think I touched on prostate MRI, which is a relatively new test, um, mm-hmm. not currently available to GPs. So that's, that's still only done by hospital specialists. And obviously we don't do the prostate biopsies either. So I think the GPs would be aware that these tests exist. The, the awareness of prostate MRI is probably still developing amongst the GP community. So I, mm, I don't really? think all GPs would know why a prostate MRI is done or what that adds. Um, they mm. might be aware that they're now doing prostate MRIs, but in terms of the MRI specific role, um, in terms of trying to identify tumours and guiding biopsies, that is still being disseminated amongst the GP community now. Um, and then in terms of treatments, I mean, we... Obviously, GPs are not currently involved in, in treatment decisions and recommendations. That mm-hmm. is still sort of guided by the, the the cancer specialist team. But, you know, GPs are involved for a lot of men once the treatment decision has been made and it's been started by the hospital team, you know, in terms of delivering you know, hormone therapy, in terms of organising PSA blood tests for men on active surveillance. Um, so we do have some role in some of the treatments, but mm-hmm. you know, other specialist treatments like you know, chemotherapy for advanced prostate cancer is not something that we typically get involved with. So a GP might be aware that it's an option, but, but they might not know a lot more than that. Just speaking on, about prostate MRI, I mean, there's, as you know, even just as recently as last week, there's been some recent developments on um, prostate MRI is a, is a potential um, screening um, device. And, and I guess one of my mm-hmm. questions is, if, as you say, the GP community may not be as aware as prostate MRI as we might like, do you find that a lot of patients are aware that they've done their own research and the dialogue sort of between the patient and the GP informing each other has advanced? I think that is starting to happen, you know, because the NHS is now rolling out, you know, MRI. So the, the nice guidance to say that, you know, men where they're able to have an MRI should be offered one before they get a biopsy. Now that guidance mm-hmm. only changed in 2019. So, yes, yes. so you know, hospital trust and the NHS services are still rolling that out across the board. So I think as that becomes the standard of practice across the NHS, more and more patients will become aware of it. And I think GPs will too. And, you know, they'll, they'll start to see men who've gone, been referred, come back having had an MRI, but not gone any further because the MRI didn't show anything suspicious and the decision was not to go on to biopsy. So, mm-hmm. so that, that will evolve going forward. And, yeah, I think, you know, we, we do have a lot of informed patients who do come and talk to us. And a lot of GPs are open to those conversations. If, you know, if a patient wants to come and talk about, you know, oh, doc, do you think I should have this 
prostate MRI, you know, mm-hmm. even if the GP doesn't have an in-depth knowledge at that point, they would, you know, go away and, and look up some reputable sources and come back and have that conversation mm-hmm. with the patient. Mm-hmm. So in some of your research um, and things you've published, you, you've advocated for sort of a holistic approach to patient health when it comes to caring for men with prostate cancer and, and that this is best supported through something called continuity of care. So how would you advise men to engage with their GP practice if this isn't available to them or, or it's been compromised as it has been during COVID? So continuity of care, so having a GP or a member of the, the GP team who knows you as a patient and knows you know, your full history and then is there for you going forward is a challenge that we are grappling with as a profession. You know, and um, there are a number of factors that are affecting that. So the, the traditional model of having you know, a GP available 24-7, seven days a week with the amount of workload that we have in primary care that is not feasible anymore, that would burn every GP out in the UK. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're finding other models of trying to deliver the best care we can. And a lot of practices still really value continuity of care. So regardless of you know, who, which GP you normally see, every patient will have a named GP. So someone who is ultimately responsible for that patient mm-hmm. and will receive all the correspondence from the hospital specialists and the community care providers. Um, you know, they'll often receive the you know, blood test results and prescription requests and things. And then we cover for each other on the, on the days when we're, we're not in the practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so if patients feel that, you know, they don't have a strong relationship with the GP they're seeing at the moment, then, well, I mean, what I would encourage you to do is think about, you know, which GPs have you in- interacted with in your practice? Which ones do you feel like you've, you've got along well with or you have a good rapport with? And when you, whenever you ring up, ask to see that GP. It's true that we can't, we won't necessarily be able to see you the day you ring up and ask for an appointment, but, you know, it's entirely possible for a lot of issues that we can arrange for the next available appointment to speak to to that GP that you have a good relationship with you know, and then take that forward. And, and I think with, you know, with what we talked earlier about the, the widening options of accessing, you know, your GP through online consultations and email consultations and things. So some of those, you know, non-urgent things that don't have to be dealt with on the day that you ring the practice, you know, if you have taken up the option of an email consultation or the option of a follow-up phone call, that will happen, you know, and that will be a way to, to build rapport and, and relationship with, with, a GP that in the in your practice. So some people refer to the GP as a, as a gatekeeper, as opposed to mm. you know a more engaged um, practitioner, you know, sort of responsible and advocating for their care. Do you think that that we have every reason to be encouraged about that you know more engaged model moving forward? The gatekeeping model refers to you know what how do we find the best way to get you know, the patient, the help they need, you know, and, and sometimes that can be delivered, you know, with your GP or with mm-hmm. another community service. And sometimes that requires referrals to a specialist. And mm-hmm. that's bread and butter for GPs is trying to help the patient find the best available treatment for them and the right treatment mm-hmm. for them. I am hopeful with these wider options for accessing your GP going forward that it might actually make it easier for people to speak to a GP that knows them and, and, and stay in touch with them regularly. I mean, one idea that's been floated around from um, a number of uh, various institutions um, are the polyclinic idea where you, um, is that something that you've given any thought to? So when you say the polyclinic idea, do you mean in terms of having other community specialists like mm-hmm. physiotherapists and mental and diagnostics and, 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 you know, so for example, the MRI would be available locally in a, in a yeah. polyclinic as opposed to a, a yeah. hospital. Yeah, yeah. So that that's definitely one model. And, and, and there are there is a, a strong push from the NHS to try and make services available more in the community. And there has been some rebalancing of the NHS resources to do that. So the recent initiative is what's called primary care networks. And, and part of the 
the idea behind primary care networks is that they have some some extra funding available to bring in yes more diagnostics more community specialists more extra services into the local community so for instance in our practice we now have two um, physiotherapists who you know, come and work in our practice mm-hmm. and you know patients can book directly in with them if they have a, a a problem with their back or their shoulder or something that, that we could assess or the physio could assess. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of increasing access to the, the right kind of person. We do need more resources if we're going to start doing things like diagnostics in the community. But, mm-hmm. but you mm-hmm. know, there, there's discussion about diagnostic hubs in the community within the NHS that might mean going forward your GP can organise more tests for you locally rather than having to send you up to the hospital and get the test done like an MRI encouraging to think about. Sam, thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's been really helpful. And I know our listeners will find this extremely informative. So thanks very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. A transcript of this interview is available on our website, where you can also access additional interviews, blogs, and reviews of several of the issues we've discussed today. Visit the Focal Therapy Clinic at www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk. Thanks for listening. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time. <laughs>